Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast, a podcast for conversations you won't find in the church, a club for those who feel like a lone wolf. I'm your host, Nicole Porter, and I am so excited to be back for another episode. This is going to be another fiery one. <laughs> I feel like I've been having a lot of hot takes recently. Um, I just feel like there's a lot to say with, you know, things that are happening in society, movies that are being released. I talked about the Barbie movie in my last episode specifically and how there has been an uproar from conservative Christian groups boycotting the movie, saying that it's full of demons and pushing a gay agenda and all kinds of nonsense. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, I highly recommend it um, for your entertainment and your amusement. So in today's episode, like the title says, we are going to talk about pastors who don't know the answers to some hard-hitting questions and how I find that a bit troubling. But before we jump into that, I want to remind you where you can get in touch with me. You can find me on Instagram at lonewolvesclub.pod. And you can also email me at lonewolvesclub.pod at gmail.com. Those are both great places to leave me feedback or let me know um, what you would like me to dive into. There are plenty and plenty of topics that I could dive into and I have a whole list myself, but I would love to hear from y'all and hear what you want to hear about because I'm here for you. I made this podcast for your enjoyment. So I would love to hear your thoughts and to hear what you might want to hear about. All right, enough with the intro. Let's jump in to today's topic when pastors don't have the answers. Now, before I begin this episode about pastors not having the answers to hard questions, I want to clear up that I don't think that's a bad thing all the time because they're human just like the rest of us. And so, of course, they're not going to have all the answers all the time. And some things in the Bible are just too mysterious to have answers in this lifetime, you know? However, what this episode is about is the troubling trend I see with pastors, particularly young pastors, young both in age and in terms of how long they have been a pastor, who don't have answers to culturally relevant questions. For example, one prominent pastor is Mike Todd, who pastors at Transformation Church. According to him, Mike Todd was asked to be a pastor of the church when he was a young man in his 20s and had no experience with leading a church before just leading a youth group. I have more I want to say on young people with no experience being asked to lead an entire congregation, but that is for another episode. Anyway, Mike Todd is still young, uh, only 36 years old. And you would think that being so young, Mike Todd would be more in tune with what is happening in the culture of today. 
in some ways he is, as he will dedicate sermons to hookup culture or the pitfalls of social media, like comparing your life based on what people share on social media. But when it comes to harder-hitting issues and more culturally relevant issues, like the issues of acknowledging someone's pronouns, an issue that a lot of Christians seem to be oddly hung up on, more on that later, he failed to have an answer to give his congregation on this topic. Here is a clip of what he shared on a Sunday service from maybe only about like four months ago, so not that long ago. And I'm going to play the clip for you here. And this is a clip where he was discussing the debacle of pronouns and non-binary people and kind of how to make sense of that all as a Christian. So I'm going to play the clip for you right now, and then we are going to unpack it afterwards. God decided male and female. No, no, no. I'm not, this is not a bad, I need y'all to hear my heart on this. This is not a bashing. This is not a, he, if I was there, maybe I would have told him, is there something in the middle you could do? Like kind of a, like a little maybe if somebody, well, I was born like this. I don't know how I feel. That I, I feel you. And I wish that there was an option of other in the kingdom. I did that. I don't freaking know. I knew, honestly, I wish God would have made it so much simpler and it was like A, B, C, or D, like frick. No, I'm serious. As a pastor, like, so what do you think about gay men? I don't know. Now, I'm not trying to nitpick because, again, we're all human and life throws a lot of curveballs at us all. In 2023, it is getting increasingly challenging to keep up with all the changes that we're going through as a society, so I don't fault him for not having all the answers at all. But there are a few points in this clip that troubled me, and I want to unpack them now. So first off, at the top of the clip, he says, God decided male and female not to be critical over word choice, but I like what it says in Genesis where it says that God created us male and female. He didn't just decide, he created. He didn't just pull from a long list of options. He purposefully created us to be male and female. The second part that troubles me is when he says, I wish I was there and maybe I would have told him, you know, is there something you can do, like something in the middle, like for people who are like, I don't know, I was born a certain way, but I'm not sure. And then right after that, he says, I feel you, implying that he is speaking to the group of people he just described, people who feel like they are a different gender than the one they biologically are. I would argue that if you feel people who do not conform to their biological gender, then you need to be better at showing it. Because right here, he is trying to sympathize with that specific group of people, saying that he gets it. It's confusing and hard to navigate this gender slash pronoun debate in the church. 
the thing is, it's really not that hard. Because if you truly want to get people in that camp, then you need to be more welcoming. I think the church could learn a lot by inviting people in the LGBTQ plus community to share their stories because many people in that community still believe in God. I follow a popular YouTuber who does makeup reviews. He's a gay man named Manny, and he has almost 5 million followers on YouTube, quite the platform. He openly talks about how he was raised Mormon and still believes in God, prays every night, and knows that he is a child of God. But I would argue that if you ask him how welcomed he feels by the church as a whole, you might hear a different story. Another person I follow on social media is Jonathan Van Ness, one of the hosts of the popular Netflix show Queer Eye. I remember in season one, they were talking a lot about religion because they were making over many men and women in the South, where we tend to hold on to strong conservative beliefs, both in politics and religion. And he said in one interview that he knows that God loves him, but he doesn't know if the church loves him. Those are just a few prominent examples of gay men who believe in God and are not afraid to talk about that to their audience. But I would argue that if they walked into a church just as they are, wearing makeup, dresses, high heels, etc., they would not be accepted for who they are. That is because while many churches in America do not openly hate gay people, some churches do, and sadly those churches get more attention from the media than the ones that don't hate gay people. It's called outrage media, and it's the idea that things which cause an outrage perform better on the news, on social media, talk shows, etc., that's why if you listen to a lot of talk shows like Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, or Ben Shapiro, everyone sounds angry. <laughs> it draws people in, and outrage is a very addictive emotion, but that's an aside. Anyway, by and large, the church has not done enough, in my opinion, to make people in the LGBTQ plus community, to make people who do not identify with either gender, feel welcome. Because while there are some churches that are open and affirming, meaning they welcome gay men and women and have gay men and women serve in leadership roles or even preach as pastors, ministers, whatever you want to call them, there are just as many churches that are not open and affirming. Which is really a shame because I think it would do the church a lot of good to hear sermons from men and women who are commonly not welcomed by the church, but still choose to love God anyway, because that is a powerful story. That shows that they love God just because they love God, and whether people accept them or not is not going to change that love. And not only are many churches not open and affirming, many are not even open about the fact that LGBTQ plus members are welcome there. I know what you're thinking. Many churches have signs outside that say, all are welcome, or come as you are, or no perfect people allowed. Many churches will have a mission statement like, we're imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. So, of course, when you hear statements like that, it's easy to see that this particular church is welcoming of everyone. 
But the problem is members of the LGBTQ plus community or those who are non-binary have felt so unwelcome by some churches or Christians. And like we talked about, sadly, those churches seem to be louder than the normal loving churches that they feel like the church does not accept them. Even if the church does have statements plastered everywhere, like all are welcome. I personally think that the church has a long way to go when it comes to making amends for how gay people have felt like they don't belong, that you can't believe in God and be gay at the same time, and that being gay doesn't automatically damn you to hell. And just a simple start would be for pastors to throw out statements like, if you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, we as a church want to let you know that you belong here. You are a child of God and you are loved and accepted and free to worship with us just as you are. For example, I was at an Easter service earlier this year and the pastor was preaching about how all are loved and accepted no matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, etc. You know, that kind of speech. Also, I hope my fellow 90 kids caught that Backstreet Boys reference. Anyway, this pastor was preaching about how all are accepted no matter what. And while he was calling out different examples of people who may not feel accepted, I feel like he could have mentioned the LGBTQ plus community and really honed in on that for a second. Just a second. I'm not saying he needed to have a whole sermon dedicated to making the LGBTQ members of his congregation because I'm sure there are, feel welcome and accepted. I'm just saying that if more pastors slipped in mentioning the LGBTQ plus community when they talk about how all are welcome and loved and accepted, how the gospel is for all, the church is for all, God's love is for all, then more members of the community may start to feel truly accepted and like people get them. So back to Mike Todd, for him to say that he gets the folks out there who are non-binary, I feel like he could have done a lot more to show that he really does get them. For example, right after saying that he gets them, he could have taken a moment to say, by the way, you are welcome here no matter what, even if other churches haven't made you feel welcomed, our church is different and we accept members of the LGBTQ plus community here to worship with us. Sorry, I always trip over that. <laughs> But instead, he goes on to say that he doesn't know why God didn't make other options, why he only made it A or B, not A or B or C or D. That was the direct quote, by the way. And if you remember, his whole attitude while saying that is almost like a little kid throwing a tantrum. He's stomping his feet, throwing up his hands, looking overwhelmed. Even his voice takes on this kind of whiny tone. I'm not saying any of that to be critical or make fun of him. I'm just describing how his actions appear to me. And it didn't appear like he was acting his age, which is 36. It appeared that he was acting a lot younger. And I know by putting on that act, he was just trying to show how overwhelmed and confused he is when it comes to the LGBTQ plus community and non-binary folks. But to me, it read like he just didn't know what to think, period. And in fact, he goes on to say he doesn't know. He doesn't know what to do with the pronoun debacle or non-binary folks. He even goes on to say that people ask him what he thinks of gay marriage, and he replies that he doesn't know. So the problem to me is this. 
You are a prominent pastor who runs a mega church. Your congregation is literally in the thousands. On his personal website, IamMikeTodd.com, it says that 5,000 people attend in person at their multiple services every Sunday, and then an additional 20,000 people attend the church online. That's a lot of people and the definition of a mega church. So for the pastor who is the spiritual leader of 25,000 people to say that he doesn't know what to do about non-binary people, he doesn't know what to do about pronouns, he doesn't know what to think about gay marriage is troubling. And it's troubling because of the simple fact that if someone is guiding you, supposed to be more mature in their faith than you, supposed to lead you, don't you want them to have an idea of what they think about hard-hitting topics? Don't you want them to have opinions on the current cultural climate and a biblical basis for those opinions? I don't know about you, but I do, because I want to go to church to learn and to be guided. I want to go to church and have my pastor speak on current topics and have an idea of what they believe on different issues and why. I think saying I don't know is fence-sitting, you know, not wanting to fully step onto either side of an argument but stand right in the middle. And I know that picking a side could land him in hot water, which is probably why he said I don't know and left it at that. Because if he said that he believes gay marriage is a sin, then he would most likely offend a whole entire community of gay men and women, as well as allies of that community. But if he said that gay marriage was okay, then I'm sure many in the church would leave, because a lot more conservative Christians don't hold to the idea that gay marriage should be a thing. His church, Transformation Church, is also located in the state of Oklahoma, which is a very conservative part of the U.S. It is just above Texas for my international audience. So, like most southern states, it falls in line with having more conservative political and religious views. And so, if Mike Todd condoned gay marriage, then I had the sneaking suspicion that many people would leave his church just based on that alone and find another church that aligns with their political and religious beliefs. I know he can't win, and I know that many would say that the church isn't the place for pastors to share their political beliefs or personal beliefs. I get that, but the problem is, at least in America, that religion and politics are so intertwined. So it's hard to express what you think about gay marriage from a religious point of view without politics also coming into play. And people are so easily upset nowadays when people say something contrary to their own beliefs so I can guarantee you that he went with, I don't know, for his answer, because it was the easy answer. He didn't offend or upset anyone, you know? Except in my mind, I feel he lost some credibility as a pastor, because again, if you are looking up to someone to lead you, like many people do with their pastors, then you want to be led by someone who is sure of what they believe on important cultural topics and to know why they believe what they believe. You know, 
The funny thing is, so many pastors like Mike Todd get bogged down on what to do with the LGBTQ plus community, what to do about non-binary folks, what to do about gay marriage. And really, I think the answer is simple. It's to love and really love, not in a general all are welcome way, but to love in a specific, meaningful way. You know, the way all of us want to be loved and accepted. No one wants it to be general. We want it to be specific and intentional when people love us and accept us. And if you focus on loving gay people truly and specifically just as they are, then all of the other complicated questions fall away. You don't have to wonder why God didn't make a third gender or multiple genders or anything crazy like that. You don't have to worry about the pronoun debacle. Just call people what they want to be called. What harm is it to you? You don't even have to think that hard about gay marriage. You can just say that if it's someone's choice, that doesn't make you love them any less because gay marriage is already here in America. It's been here for a while. So really, why are we all still debating about this and worrying what we should think on it? I think a lot of Christians and churches can be set free by this line of thinking to love first, specifically and intentionally. Martin Luther King Jr. said himself that hate is too heavy of a burden to bear, so he chooses love. And while a church may not outright hate gay people, it is an easier path to choose acceptance, to choose openness, to choose love, instead of having to dodge questions all the time. Another thing I want to add is that I have a friend who is trans. At first, we lived together as roommates for several years. We've since moved on with our lives, but we still remain friends. My trans friend accepts me just the way I am. He accepts that I believe in God, even though he doesn't. And that's the beauty of choosing to love first. He doesn't ask me why I believe in God, why I follow the teachings from an ancient book, why I believe in all these made-up stories about an ark and a flood and crazy things like that. He just accepts me for me. Imagine that. So, you know, I don't think Christians need to tie themselves into knots, asking a bunch of questions about what to do about the pronoun debacle, what to do about gay marriage, what to do about non-binary people. Because I know that me being a Christian does not affect my trans friend at all. He doesn't twist himself into knots, agonizing over the fact that I believe in God. He doesn't even try to understand why I believe in God. And you know what? It's not for him to understand. My beliefs are personal to me and only affect me. And the same thing goes for him being trans. It does not affect me in the slightest that he chose to be trans. It's not for me to understand the ins and outs for his decision about being trans and choosing the pronouns he's chosen. I think a lot of Christians would really free themselves if they adopted this attitude because they would not be bogged down by things that don't really concern or affect them. Because choosing to love someone without needing to understand everything about them and their personal decisions is the very definition of love. You don't have to understand someone to love them. Think about your best friend or a significant other. I reckon you started liking each other when you were strangers, pretty much. Heck, I told my husband after two months of dating him that I loved him. 
we were still very much strangers after those two months, you know? But I loved him fully, and I loved him without even fully understanding him. And I will never fully understand him, by the way, because he is his own person on his own journey through this world. And although we share this journey, he is still making his way through the world just as I have to make my own way through the world. Our journeys overlap and intertwine, of course, but I still have my own life to live, my own faith to work out, just as he has his. So all of that is to say that I think if we as Christians lead with love and realize that it isn't for us to understand someone's personal journey, especially if that journey concerns their sexuality, then we will feel more free. We won't need to fence, sit, or be afraid to say certain things if we just decide to not be concerned with things that don't concern us. Also, I have seen a lot of chatter around the internet when it comes to Christians using people's pronouns or going to gay marriages or accepting their friends who are gay. You know, there seems to be two sides, right? Some Christians say that you should not acknowledge someone's pronouns. You should not go to a gay friend's wedding ceremony. You should not accept someone's decision to come out. And the Christians who are in that camp of setting themselves up against the LGBTQ plus community their defense is the verse that says to speak the truth in love. So they stand behind that verse and they say, you need to speak the truth in love. And so if someone is biologically a male and they tell you that they want to be called she, you are supposed to disregard that and continue to call them he. Or If you have a gay friend and they are having a wedding and they give you an invitation, you are supposed to turn it down and not go to the wedding because you are supposed to speak the truth in love and not accept gay marriage and not support gay marriage by going to their wedding. Now, I have a problem with that because I think Christians are taking that verse, speak the truth in love out of context. So it comes from Ephesians, more specifically. Hold on, give me a chance to look it up here. (laughs) Just a disclaimer, I did not sit down and write a script for this portion. Usually I do, but I'm kind of off the cuff here. So let me look up that verse real quick. Speak the truth in love. So yes, it comes from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15. And the thing is, Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. They were going through a specific situation, and Paul gave them that directive to speak the truth in love to one another regarding some issues that were going on in their community. So a lot of Christians have taken that verse and they hide behind it when the topic of pronouns or supporting gay marriage or supporting gay friends coming out to you comes up. And I think the problem with that verse is because in Ephesians, Paul was talking to believers who were having problems with other believers. 
Right. So if your friend who invites you to their wedding is not Christian, they don't believe in God, they don't have the same worldview as you, and you decline going to their to their wedding because you want to speak the truth in love, you are going to lose that friendship. And you know why? Because y'all don't share the same worldview, right? <laughs> they don't believe in sin. <laughs> if they're not Christians, right, they don't believe in sin. Y'all don't share that same worldview. They don't believe in those parts of the Bible that talk about homosexuality being a sin because they don't read the Bible and they don't believe in God and they don't follow the Christian way of living. So really, all you're going to do is ruin that friendship, potentially, because a lot of people would be deeply offended if they had a really close friend and they invited them to their wedding and that person said, no, because I don't support your lifestyle. Anyone would be offended, right? I would be offended. I would probably not want to be friends with that person anymore. And so I think the problem is a lot of Christians think that they need to be the moral police of the world, that they need to stand up and tell people right from wrong. And that's not what we're called to do as Christians. We're called to model Christ to people. And yes, while Christ did admonish people and he did call out sin, you know who he was usually calling it out to? Other Christians, other believers, right? The Jewish people who already believed in God. That's the problem when Christians try to be the moral police of the world, is that rather than telling people the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel, they are honing in on what they think is right or what they think is wrong and choosing to come at people with that attitude of, oh, I'm not going to go to your wedding friend of mine because I don't believe in gay marriage and I don't want to be seen like I'm accepting it or condoning it. I'm not going to use your pronouns, friend of mine, because I'm just speaking the truth in love. Even though you don't believe in God, I'm going to speak the truth in love and tell you that you're a sinner. <laughs> and again, what would that do for your friendship? Probably ruin it. If my trans friend came over and I insisted on using his dead name, the name that, you know, he was given to at birth, if I insisted on using the pronouns that he had before he, you know, switched to the ones he preferred, then I would probably lose his friendship. Yes, the truth is my, that the truth is that my friend is a biological woman. Yes, that is true. But like I'm about to talk about, it's not for us to interject ourselves into someone's personal journey. You know, my friend is on his own journey with his sexuality and his life and everything. And it's not for me to interject my worldview. It's not for me to try to be the moral police of his life based on my religion just the same as he doesn't try to police my life he doesn't try to argue with me about why god isn't real you know he easily could but he comes over he could sit me down and be like nicole i don't believe that god is real and here's why but he doesn't he respects my religion he respects my journey and he doesn't interject his worldview into that he keeps that to himself, just like I keep my worldview to myself, if that makes sense, you know? <laughs> he, 
yes, we do share a worldview in some ways. You know, we agree that certain things are wrong and certain things are good. And we have a similar way of treating people with empathy and kindness and respect. And we both have an open mind. And we both have a lot of other things in common that we both enjoy. We're both kind of nerdy and we like Lord of the Rings and going to Renaissance fairs and stuff like that. So, you know, we have a lot in common and a lot of other things that we talk about. And I think our friendship works because we don't try to impose our worldviews onto the other person. We just accept that person for who they are. And I hope that by loving and accepting my friend just the way he is, that I have a more positive effect on him when it comes to showing him the love of God than I would if I insisted on calling him the wrong pronouns or using his dead name or if he gets married one day to not go to his wedding, which I can never imagine because he went to my wedding, which was a very Christian wedding. We took communion, we sang a hymn, we prayed prayers, and he sat through the whole thing. He even baked my wedding cake, and he celebrated my wedding, and he never made me feel bad or awkward over the fact that there was so much religion involved in it. He showed up and celebrated me because we're friends, and I think that's a really beautiful thing. So now I want to talk about it from the other point of view because I know some people might have the thought of, well, what do you do when your fellow Christian friend comes to you and they come out as gay or bi or lesbian or, you know, whatever? What do you do when your Christian friend thinks that they are trans? What do you do when your Christian friend no longer identifies with the gender that they are and they want to use different pronouns? I would argue, not to sound like a fence sitter, <laughs> but I would argue that is something that needs to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis. Because, again, while us Christians should speak the truth in love to one another and remind each other of the things that the Bible says, the things that God says, I think we also need to consider, again, what would have more of an impact on that person? If your fellow Christian friend comes out to you as gay, would you have more impact on their life if you you know, browbeat them, told them that it's a sin, told them that it leads down a path of destruction. You told them that you're praying for them in like a passive aggressive way. You maybe stop talking to them, hang out with them less, stuff like that. I would argue that has a negative impact, right? Because you essentially, essentially <laughs> ruined that friendship because you had a good thing going with this friend up until they told you they were gay and then you decided to not talk to them talk to them anymore but if your friend comes to you and they come out as gay and let's say they're not asking for your opinion they're not asking for your advice they're just telling you 
I would argue that the kind and loving thing to do would be to listen to them, accept them, hear them out, and trust that they are on their own journey with God and that if they feel convicted about it, if they feel a certain kind of way about it, God will reveal that to them because they hear from God, they love God, they follow God. But if they ask you for your advice, if they ask you for your opinion on that matter, then I think you're free to give it. And then you can speak the truth and love and you can remind them of who they are, of who God created them to be, of what the Bible says. You can do all of that. But I would advise that you do it only if you are invited to give that advice. You know, I have had friends who have shared that they are gay. And I think the most powerful thing has been to just listen and accept and take in that information and then just trust that they hear from God. And if they start to feel a kind of certain way about it, God will reveal that to them and trust that they have already wrestled with this decision. They've already wrestled with the decision to come out as gay. Because for a lot of people, that's not an easy decision. I don't know all the ins and outs of that because I'm not a gay woman, but I do know from hearing people's stories that it's not an easy part of yourself to acknowledge. So I think a lot of grace can be extended rather than reacting with fear or anger or confusion. Like I've heard some people open up with when, you know, a family member comes out to them as gay. They wrestle with a lot of anger and confusion and fear. And that's okay. They're entitled to feel how they feel. But rather than taking that fear and taking that anger and taking that confusion and projecting it onto your friend or family member who comes out as gay, because they probably already feel enough fear and confusion and maybe even anger on their end, and they probably already really wrestled with this, and it's not an easy thing for them to tell you or to admit, I think that you can respond with grace. And again, if they ask your opinion, you can say how you feel. And if you feel like it's a sin, and if you feel like condemning it, and if you feel like reminding that to them, reminding them, reminding them of that, rather, you know, feel free. I mean, I would argue that that might also ruin your friendship <laughs> or your relationship with that person. But if you feel so convicted and you feel like it's your job to stand up and tell that person what's what, then, you know, more power to you. <laughs> and hey, maybe your perspective will help if they're genuinely asking for advice and they're genuinely confused and they're genuinely, genuinely wrestling with it. But I would argue when most people come to you with something like that, they already know how they feel. They've already wrestled with it on their own. They're just telling you after many, many months or weeks or even years of wrestling. So, that's just to share the other side of the argument and to say that, yes, as Christians, we are called to speak the truth in love, but I would argue that that would be lost on your non-believing friends, non-believing family, non-believing coworkers, because y'all don't share the same worldview, and you're just going to look like a judgmental, you know, narrow-minded Christian if you try to impose your worldview on them. And to your fellow Christian friends, 
coworkers, family members, I would also argue to tread carefully when it comes to speaking the truth in love because you might potentially damage that friendship um, or relationship if you insist on telling them the truth, especially if they didn't ask you. If they did ask you, that's another thing. Things might still get a bit rocky. It all just, like I said, it's case by case and depends on how strong of a friendship y'all have and what kind of stage they're at when it comes to wrestling with these things, you know. So I just wanted to present two sides. One last thought. I think when pastors like Mike Todd don't share a definitive opinion on important cultural matters, they disservice their congregation. Mike Todd added nothing new to the conversation because all he said was, I don't know. <laughs> That's not an opinion or a true answer. And I think his church deserved more than that. Because again, they come looking to him for guidance and leadership, not more confusion. And again, of course, as humans, we are allowed to not know all the answers to all the hard questions. But I think if you sign up to be a pastor and stand up to lead others, mentor others, guide others, then you aren't afforded the luxury of being able to sit back and say, I don't know. And the very, very last thought I have, I think a pastor should be more concerned with going great lengths to create a welcoming environment at church than losing his position. Because I would argue that when you get to heaven as a pastor, God isn't going to care about the fact that you had a church of 25,000 people. But instead, he would care about whether you made that church a place where all felt welcomed, even his children in the LGBTQ plus community that long to worship alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, I've said a lot already, so I will end it here. This has been another episode of the Lone Wolves Club podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Porter. As always, thank you so much for listening. And until next time.